0: Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero. Thanks for listening to The Tour Coach. These are the players, coaches, experts, stories and insights from my work on the PGA Tour at my retreats or my downtown teaching center in Mobile, Alabama. My goal is to shed light and share insights from the people who I've gotten to know and meet working on the PGA Tour and teaching through my career. And I hope this helps all of us play, coach and teach better golf. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and take a look at our new Do Sweeper's YouTube channel, or the Do Sweeper on Instagram, where I've taken some time to share videos of help from my teachings, travels, and journeys. Joining me here on the tour coach, somebody I've been really excited about bringing on the on the pod here. Most people don't know this, but when I was a little kid, my grandfather retired to Pinehurst, and the first real golf I ever got to go watch was the World Amateur Championship at Pinehurst on, I believe it was number two. I was a little kid, and I think nine years old. And uh, this gentleman was the winner there and uh, was the first real golf, and I became an instant fan. He signed a golf ball for me. I was a little little age, but Mr. Hal Sutton. Hal, thanks for taking time and joining me here. And that was a real cool thing as a little kid to to go watch. You weren't obviously professional yet, but that was the first real golf I ever got to really see other than my grandfather's buddies who weren't that good
1: <laughs> well that was a a fun week it capitalized to a, a big year for me in 1980 yeah. so you know that was i had a lot of success that year at pinehurst because i won the north south that year there i won the u.s amateur there that year and then won the world amateur after that so pinehurst was real good to hal Sutton that year You ought to be a
0: member there. They ought to get an honorary (laughs) member. (laughs) Pretty good. Uh, And, you know, for me, like Pinehurst, it's where my grandfather retired, and I kind of learned to play. And it started my love for golf. And and then, you know, one of my biggest coaching moments, my first U.S. Open that I coached at was there. And then uh, I coached the young man, Andy Ogletree, the one, the U.S. Amateur there. So I've had some good things happen. But I always go back to kind of my love affair with golf, started watching you play there at the World Amateur. Well,
1: it's, you know, the heart of golf in America, to me, doesn't get any better than Pinehurst. And uh, I always felt like I was
0: uh, in golfer's heaven when I went to Pinehurst. Yeah, it's a neat place. So, you you know, obviously, you've won the PGA Championship, you won the Players, I believe it's like 14 14 tour wins. I mean, now you've kind of transitioned to, to the instruction side, to, you know, a different side of golf. I want to talk about what you take from your playing days to that. i kind of curious. Uh, and what do you think about, like, how is, in, and the other part is, how is instruction different with the folks out there on tour versus how it was when, you know, when you were playing? I think we've tried to take all of the gray that
1: we can take out of instruction and turn it into black and white and numbers. And, you know, it's a little bit frustrating for me, to be honest with you, because okay. when I started teaching, it took away my feel for the game. And okay. actually, I'm not I'm, – I I'm, we still have the academy, and, and I teach in there one day a week now. I don't teach <laughs> as much as I did just because I, I want to try to get a little bit of my golf game back. And, you know, the more I taught, the more I wouldn't even let people hit balls. I'd let them hit five balls to begin with. I'd give them my evaluation, and then I'd try to get them to make the change without a golf ball. Because the result of the shot is overpowering to the change. And people will revert back to what they know will produce a result. It may not be the result that they want, but it will produce a result. And, you know, we're trying to change their golf swing, and it's pretty amazing. You can take someone and show them what you're trying to do and ask them to maximize on it, and they'll get close to doing what you want them to do as long as it's not swinging at a golf ball. But the minute you say, okay, now move a golf ball over there and do it, they'll they'll look like the same guy that they were when they walked in. And once you can get them to see, hey, I can look like that, then they kind of buy in and then they want to start making the changes. But, you know, the golf swing's changed a lot. Uh, The modern-day golf swing has changed a lot. And, you know, I'm going to say some things on here that may or may not be popular, but I'll tell you this after all of these years of teaching and everything else if i had it all to do over again but i could take the knowledge that i have and go back and tell a young house what to do i wouldn't jump around and work with everybody looking for the holy grail because the holy grail doesn't exist as far as golf is concerned you're either gifted with a real good golf swing or you somehow develop a real good golf swing And guess what? It might be good in this guy's eyes, but in this guy's eyes over here, there'll be something wrong with it. And, you know, trying to please everybody is not going down the path that a person needs to go. I would go back and work with the guy that called me when I didn't need to call him and say, hey, I've been thinking about you, and I think you need to think about this, because that's the guy that is spending overtime trying to help me be better, and you know if he's waiting on me to come see him, he's not spending enough time thinking about how I need to be better. And you know my point in
0: saying that is, the guy that loves you can help you the most. Man, that's so good. You know, as as a teacher coming up, and, I, and I've been forced to teach some good players, some tour guys you know, being, the, you know, I've gone through some tough times where you get fired a bunch, you know, yeah, and people mm-hmm. see you, you know, and, and how, like, I had, you know, a guy I taught, played the Walker Cup, number one amateur, and then gets, you know, has some trouble, and boom, he goes to, you know, somebody else has got a bunch of tour players, and I remember how much that hurt, right, because, yeah. I mean, I was that kid since he was a little kid, you yeah. know, and then he came back, but it's interesting, I, I love what you said, because I think, like, man, and I don't know if it's our society or I, I don't really know, but there's so many people that, man, they, they get good. And then they hit a little bit of a bad stretch. And to me, it's like, they think it's not me. It's got to be the information I'm given. So I got to go find somebody else to get it. Well,
1: I'm not going to call any names, but just recently, yep. I I had worked with somebody that was really a good player, you know, and every time he didn't play as well, he wanted to blame the golf swing. And <laughs> so I finally said, look, Uh, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice I can tell you. If you don't learn how to blame you before you blame everything else, you're not going to be honest enough to be a really good player. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can tell me a lie, you can tell the world a lie, but you better not tell you a lie. Because you can't get better if you tell yourself a lie. Because if you tell it enough, you're going to finally believe it. And I'm going to say one more thing out here. When a person gets good, when a, when a person gets what the world would say is good, like I said earlier, there's people that really like it people that don't like it. And for various reasons, you'll be criticized, good or bad. And, you know, all golfers want everything to be rosy. You know, they want everybody to love their golf swing. They want everybody mm-hmm. to love the way they play. And if they don't, they start questioning what's going on. And that's where the search for the Holy Grail comes in, and you know it just doesn't exist. And and you you can't please everybody. And and you know I I wish I knew when I was twenty two years old what I know today. And here's the funny part, Tony. Yeah. Most twenty two year olds won't listen to the people that actually know. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, one of the reasons why I quit going into the academy all the time was because. You know, I knew a whole lot more than they knew, and they don't want to They want to tell me how it's done.
0: It's like, "Mm, sorry, son, you don't know. (laughs) You know, the other thing I find, too, is, you know, I mean, everybody, these young people, like, I I do a lot where I bring groups of kids and players together, and, I I mean, I like to take them on the golf course. You know? Right. Best place to learn. and, And, like, you know, obviously, you know, know what they're working on, but man, I like to take them out on the golf course. I like to make kids play with kids that are better than them. Make some of my young professionals play with these younger kids. And but like man, these so many of these folks, man, they just they want to sit on that range. And if they hit one bad shot on the range, I mean they come undone. They want to know what causes every bad shot. And to me, and and you tell me if this my old mentor Hank Johnson, you say this that good players didn't work, care what the, caused the bad shot. They understood what they did when they hit their good shot. And they just kept trying to do that. He said that's what great players did. Curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, uh, you can't
1: question every bad shot because if you do, you'll be questioning a lot because we don't hit all the shots perfect. You know, one of the things that needs to be said on here, no pro, no professional hits all the shots perfect. I mean, we miss shots. And, you know, we manage our misses. We don't panic over our misses because we've got to go play the next shot. And you know, I'll say something that you just mentioned right there, living on the range, that's the worst thing in the world you can do. I mean, right. you know, warm up on the range. If you've got a problem, work on it on the range, but live on the golf course. The golf course is the best teacher in the world. And, you know, learn how to hit different shots. Don't kinda of, I mean, on the driving range, the wind's blowing the exact same way, the lie's the same, the stance is the same, everything <laughs> is the same. And the golf course, every shot is different. I mean, you know, I used to, my dad was a member at Shady Oaks in Fort Worth, and I'd go over and watch Hogan. And I mean, Hogan would take three balls out on nine holes, and he'd walk, he'd take one club, and he would walk to different yardages and hit whatever club he had in his hand from different spots. So if he hit, something that you need to hit right to left on this hole, he'd go to where he had to hit something left to right on the next hole. If he had to hit something low, he'd hit something high on the next shot. He always asked himself to do something different. You go to the driving range, most of the time you're asking yourself to do the same thing over and over again.
0: Right. And that's not golf. No. And they they hit a bad shot. People hit a bad shot, and then they want to, they you know, on the range, they just keep hitting it over. And almost anybody to me, especially guys that are better – you know, if you give them enough swings on a drive range, they're going to figure out how to time it and make it look good on the range, right? But that's right. Why, you know, why it's so hard to do on the golf course. Yeah, well, I, you know, I never could understand when I was playing
1: the tour, somebody would shoot real good and then they'd go hit balls after the fact. <laughs> you know, if I, played, if I played really good, I never went to the driving range after I finished because I didn't want to see a bad shot. I mean, yeah. things were good on the golf course. If something was wrong, I'd go work on it. But if things were really good, I didn't need to reinforce that. And I certainly didn't need to tear it down with a bad shot. So that was just me.
0: I mean, that may not be what the world thinks is right, but that's what worked for me. You've had so much success, and you've been around the game your whole life, and I find it fascinating. And and for a young player coming up, uh, you know, a, a guy that's playing college or, you know, that's a good college player, and he thinks he's got the world by the tail and he's wanting to turn pro, what advice would you give them to hone their craft or to get where they are good enough to try to make it play in a living? I mean, what advice would you give a young man like that? Well, I would say
1: go get as much experience as you can. And and that is not on the same golf course, not on the same driving range that is around the world playing with the best players in the world that you can play with. And, and, you know, financially it's tough to do that, but as, as a young player, whatever you can do in that regard, you need to do. You need to, I mean, you in know, 1974, I was a sophomore in high school, and I went to the junior world in San Diego, and that's where I met Nick Price. And Nick Price and I were a long-time, lifetime friends. We're still great friends. And, you know, that friendship forced a long time ago. He beat my ass out there, and I still <laughs> liked him, and I wanted to be his buddy, you know. And he was from Zimbabwe, and I was from Shreveport, Louisiana. But we met in the junior world, and we were trying to beat one another. And that's what it takes. You know, I left there disappointed. I had a good friendship, but I was disappointed that I got beat. And, you know, you see what the other best players are doing, and you keep trying to elevate your game to be able to do those things. And you know, it, it. You know, I used to say I was on the board of the tour. You know, and I said, you know, everybody talked about all the great players all the time, and I said, this is like acting. I said, the truth of the matter is, you don't know who is the lead actor without the supporting actor being there. And mm-hmm. so, what I mean by that is, is you've got to go see what the best players in the world are doing so that you can become the lead actor. <laughs> I mean, you can see where your deficiencies are and where
0: they're really good, and then go work on it and hold it. It's interesting you brought up being an actor, and one of my students, and he's a good friend as well, Rick Lamb, you know, played on tours in Cord Ferry. Uh-huh. He's a good friend of Paul Azinger, and Paul's helped uh-huh. him with the short And Paul talks to him about how the great players show up in character to play, and they're in character. I was curious what your thoughts are on that, are, I mean, you know, when you're playing with Tiger, where you—I mean, did you have a character that you played yourself? Did you put yourself in character? I mean, what were your thoughts when you show up and you're playing against the other guys that are the best players in the world? Well, I mean, I— to be honest with you, I—I I just was
1: truthful about who I was and who I could be, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I played into my strengths and away from my weaknesses, and that's what I saw the best players in the world do. It wasn't that I was afraid to hit a shot that I was weaker at. It was just that I knew, percentage-wise, I wasn't going to be as good a player if I put myself in that position all the time. And let me share something with you. One of the greatest players of all time, maybe the greatest, Jack Nicklaus, played exactly the same way, into his strengths and away from his weaknesses. That's called managing what you have. You know, the only guy that I ever saw play the game that didn't fear the next shot was Tiger Woods because he had all of the next shots. He might not hit it, but in his mind, he knew he could hit the next shot wherever it went. And that's a freedom that very few people have ever played with. And that's not if you don't have that. I mean, no one else has ever had it. Then you need to become a manager of your game. And you need to manage what you've got. But you've got to be honest with what you can and can't do. And, you know, that goes back to what I said in the beginning. You cannot lie to yourself. You have to be honest with yourself.
0: Talk about the players that you watched, or that you, not watched, but that you were around coming up and playing in all your years on the tour. What are some of the players that you learned the most from? Well, the first guy that I ran across in my,
1: professional career that I learned an awful lot from was Raymond Floyd.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Raymond taught me how to compete. You know, Raymond was fierce competitor. Didn't have what I would say was a story, you know, a perfect golf swing or uh you know, he was a little unorthodox in the way he did a lot of things, but a great champion. And mm-hmm. he taught me how to be honest with myself and how to evaluate what I could and couldn't do and live within the perimeters of that. You know, you mentioned Paul Azinger. Paul and I were great friends. And, you know, I've always admired Paul. Paul was a little unorthodox in the way he swung at a golf ball, but, boy, was he a competitor as well. And, you know, there's, there's that 15th club in the bag called the will to win mm-hmm. that some people just have and others don't. And, you know, that guy, if he's got that 15th club in the back, he doesn't have to be perfect everywhere else because he'll figure out a way to do it. And he also has uh, self confidence, you know, self belief. There's a difference between self belief and self confidence. And I would say that Paul Lazinger was full of self belief. At the core of him, he knew he could do it. And, you know, that's a, that's a, a mighty weapon to have.
0: Hard to beat a person with that weapon. Really? Yes. Yes, it is. What players today do you watch as you watch the, you know, guys on tour today or best players around the world? Are there any players that stick out to you that you go like, you know, are there some where you go, hey, this guy would have fit in back, would have been, a you know, back with these older guys, you know, or I mean, anybody that impresses you and you really like some of the stuff now? Well, hard to argue with how good Roy
1: is. Uh, he's You know, he, I personally think he should have won more than he's won. If his putter wasn't bulky at times, he would. But, you know, I like watching everybody play. I mean, you know, Adam Scott's got a freaking perfect golf swing, but he can't, can't quite get it done as much as I'm sure he would like to, you know, and there's a lot of good young players. You know, I love the way Jordan plays Spieth with a lot of confidence and he's, you know, he's. Up and down all the time right now, but he gets a lot out of a bulky driver from time to time, you know so right. there there's so many good players out there right now, you know i mean trackman and and the video cameras that we've got now have right in many ways caused us all to swing the exact same way, and you know, do I think that's good? I don't know, I don't know. I think there's some more good players out there that can't swing the way. So under the ball, and you know, their spine won't let them do it. And if they weren't trying to do that, and they were trying to be who they are, they might still be a really good player, but they'd do it a little
0: differently. I mean, do you agree with that? A hundred percent. I mean, I think that you know, I mean, I, I I think I'm not saying I don't have the technology. How I've got plenty of it, right? But I don't really, I, I, yeah, I don't use it that much. You know, I mean think the thing i'm most proud of is as a teacher is like if you look at some of the guys i've taught or teach like they all swing a little different right and you wow. wouldn't say that guy's a guy that goes to x because he swings like that whereas okay. you know I, I think our job as teachers is to help people find their path to be in their best as great as well, they can what they can do
1: that's one of the things that i tell every kid that comes in that takes a lesson from me so i said we're on a journey and we got to figure out where we're going and how we're going to go. And, you know, I don't know it, and neither do you, but we will figure it out together. And right. it's not its not connect the dots. And, I mean, we can easily draw lines and connect dots with all the technology that we've got now. And we can actually overlap swings, and I can get you to look like so-and-so, but that may not be the journey that you need to be on. And, you know, without playing – and you can't tell that just on the practice tee or just in a simulator or anything else. It's like you said, you got to get them out on the golf course to figure out where the journey is going to go.
0: Right. You touched on Rory – or, you know, actually you touched on Adam Scott. You said, you know, doesn't seem – or, you know, maybe hadn't gotten it done as much as he wants. You know, it seems like you, – you know, I mean, there's obviously more than one example of that. What do you think is it that separates those people? Because I see – you know i mean it's not just at that level you see junior golfers or like you see guys that don't have great golf swings and you're like there's no way this kid should be as good as he is but he beats everybody's ass yeah. then you get a the golf swing and you're like how does this guy ever miss a damn shot and he you know i mean he's good but he finishes 12th every time <laughs> you know what is it that you thinks the difference between those people
1: well there's a lot of difference a lot of a lot of differences just the will to win you know, some people are afraid to win because that carries responsibility. And you know, I can finish in the top five and kinda of go along and make a lot of money and the responsibility of having to win the next week is not on me. But if I win this week, everybody's gonna say, Well, man, he's really going. He's he should win a lot. Especially if you've got a swing like Adam Scott has got. And right. you know, this goes back to the self belief and the and the will to win. I mean the people that I mentioned to you, Paul Lazinger and Raymond Floyd, they didn't have picturesque golf swings,
0: but they had a deep will to win at all costs. Is that just something they're born with, or could like me as a coach who I love developing them, is that something you can develop in a player, or is it just something they have, or can you foster it maybe? I think you can <laughs> help it come out I, but i don't I don't know that answer. I mean, okay. you know
1: I, I really don't know that answer. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Nicholas had an unbelievable will to win. I mean, you know, I was in 1987. I was on the Ryder cup team and I was the only single guy on the team. So I stayed with he and Barbara at their house at Mirfield and the whole week. And we were sitting there one night and I said, you know, I said, uh, Jack, do you think you could do today? What you did then? And he said, well, how? I said, I don't know. He said, to be honest with you, he said there was about four or five guys that thought they could beat me back then. He said the rest of them didn't think they could beat me when it came right down to the wire. And he said, and I didn't think they could either. He said, so they had a double whammy. You know, I didn't think they could beat me, and they didn't think they could beat me. He said, if you go back and look at my record, very few times did I actually birdie holes to win in the end. He said, most of the time, I just didn't make any mistakes. He Mm -hmm. said the rest of the people made all the mistakes. And, you know, he figured out what he needed to do to win, and and he did. And I think that's what ends up happening. I I mean, it's evaluating oneself and then evaluating oneself against everybody else, too. So, and
0: the honesty part of it, I can't
1: uh, emphasize that enough. Got to be honest
0: uh, with yourself. It all goes back to where you started about being honest with yourself. Really? Right. You know, and it also goes back to where you said, you know, what you were just talking about, Jack, about, you know, managing your game, uh, playing to your strengths, right? Yeah, I mean, well, he was
1: he was the best manager of the game that I ever saw. And, I mean, he, he knew how – I mean, he hit more three woods off the tee than anybody else I played with during that era. And really? And he, he had enough length, and he managed where he was coming into the green from. And, of course, you know, he – he hit a high fade, and if he'd have built his golf courses before he ever started playing, he'd have won twice as many <laughs> golf tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> they He's all fit
0: awesome. his game. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You can tell a Nicholas course when you get on the tee. Yes, <laughs> you can, because they fit <laughs> his eye. Right. Exactly. It's what he saw. Oh, yeah. uh, she. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, I just. What about now? Would you say Tiger was the same as far as playing to his strength? Even I though he said would. he wouldn't I have would. one. But it didn't So that he had a birdie lot of holes coming down the stretch either.
1: Yeah, so here, here's what I would say about both of those guys. They were disciplined enough to manage. See, some people are not disciplined enough to do that. that they're letting the circumstances decide what they're going to do. And Tiger and, and Jack, didn't let the circumstances determine. They they had the discipline to do what they knew they needed to do. W- whether it's being what some might call conservative or what some might call aggressive, they knew what they should do, and they were disciplined to do it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the like that's to me one of the hardest things to teach young people to be disciplined to you know to stick to what they do to play to their strengths and not react to just because I. You know, just because I got off to a bad stretch the first night, I don't, you know, I'm not going to hit a, a, you know, I'm not going to hit a dumb tee shot on this hole. I don't I don't need to get it back, right, you know, on the 10th tee.
1: Well, and another thing that's really tough for a young person to do is to not, to realize they need to holler uncle and, and try to keep from making another, you know. Right. I mean, there's too many doubles and triples in young people because they're just not disciplined and they are not patient enough and pitching out in the fairway sometimes is hard to do, but it, that's all you got. Right, that's all you got. Don't create something, and that's what I mean by being disciplined to do what you know you need to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you could count. I mean, I know you've watched way more golf than me. I've watched. my share. I can't remember too many doubles that Jack or Tiger made.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not many. They don't make many. Not many. Hard to co- Hard to come back from those. You can come back right. from bogeys. But you can't come back from doubles and triples.
0: So last question here. If you were preparing for a big tournament, like if you had a player that was preparing to go play a big tournament, how did you prepare for your biggest events of the year? How did you prepare to play the Masters or the PGA? Well, it depended on what
1: I was doing at the time, you know, in terms of if I was struggling with decisions on the golf course, I would play if I was um, meaning play the week before if I was uh, not hitting it well, I'd go home and go to work on my golf swing. You know, I, a lot of times I went, I never played good at Augusta, but, I, you know, a lot of times I'd go to uh, a U.S. Open golf course the week before instead of to kind of get my brain prepared for what I was trying to do. You know, when you go play at big tournaments like that, most everybody that's entered into that tournament has enough game to play it well. It's just, is their mind right to let them play well that week? Can they see themselves being a winner that week? You know, if you can't picture yourself being a winner, you're not going to be the winner. It's not going to happen by accident. I can tell you, everybody that ever wins one of those big tournaments, they went there with a purpose.
0: No question. No question. Actually, I lied. This is the last question. I I believe, to me, I think most folks – you know, kind of getting back to searching, but that they have – that really good players have the same few things, everybody's different, that they work on in their golf swing. When you said, like, hey, I had to go back to the range, right? I mean, I'm not hitting it good. What were the things that you would generally tend to have to go back to work on, and how did you work on it?
1: Well, you know, what I worked on then, I tried to get on top of the ball. Uh I got on top of the ball a lot harder than everybody else does, which is not working in today's game because – The balls are so low spin. you got to launch the ball so high. You know, the biggest thing that I see out of handicapped golfers is they're trying to help the ball in the air because they can't keep the ball in the air. And, I mean, mean, I'm just being honest. The manufacturers have screwed this game up so much by trying to chase distance for everybody. And it's made it harder for the average player because they can't create enough speed with no spin on the ball to keep the keep the ball in the air. Yeah. I mean, most, even some good players can't hit a three wood off the ground and keep it in the air. And because, I mean, in my mind, if the USGA and the RNA would go back creating a ball that will spin more, the game would become more fun for most people. Mm -hmm. It would, you know, the hardest shot in the game used to be into a 20 mile an hour wind, 140 yards over a forced carry with a pin on the front of the green. (laughs) For instance, Fifteen, a wedge shot at Augusta and the pin on the front of the green and into the wind. Hard. That's a, a hard shot because yep. you're trying to keep it under the wind and not have it come back into the water. And, yep. you know, that sort of shot is not as hard anymore because the ball doesn't spin as much. Right. And, you know, anyway, you've gotten
0: about all the knowledge I got. talking. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, how one thanks. I know you didn't know you did it, but for you know making such an impression on me as a as a nine year old and uh, starting me on this journey, and second for taking the time to share your thoughts on this. I mean, I'd love to come up to Shreveport, from Mobile, Alabama, sometime and pick your brain and hang out and, and buy you lunch if you let me. But uh, this has been a treat for me, and, and I really appreciate you. Well, happy to do
1: it. I'm in I'm in Houston now, so. Uh- oh. You coming to Shreveport? You're not gonna find
0: me. <laughs> I mean, I'll go to Houston. I go there all the time, but I'll look you up. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time, and this has been awesome stuff. Happy to do it. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Tour Coach. I want to take a minute and thank Cordy Walker and Golf Science Lab, as well as my sponsors Strixon, Buick, Bushnell, and Vineyard Vines, for helping make all of this possible and helping me share my insights with you. If you like what you've heard, why don't you check out more on the Do Sweepers channel on YouTube, as well as the Do Sweeper on Instagram, or go to DewsweepersGolf.com to find out more about my teaching, my travels, and where you can find out more about me.